Good evening, welcome to episode six of In at the Side. I'm Dom Harbin. I'm joined by now non-guest host JK, <laughs> more of a regular, and our guest this evening, Premiership referee Carl Dixon. How are you this evening, Carl? I'm very well, thank you. Um, thoroughly enjoying uh, lockdown at the moment, so um, look forward to something a little bit different tonight. Yeah, what you uh, what have you been funny your days with? You've been working out quite a lot on the old uh, social media. Well, just trying to keep myself busy, structure the day, um, training morning and afternoon, a um, little bit of uh, admin work during the day, and then I'm very fortunate to uh, spend a bit of time with my kids as well. So trying to get a little bit of structure, but um, it's not a lot you can do when you uh, with uh, these uh, current rules. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm usually running out of bed about lunchtime at the moment, so uh, I probably need to up the activity. Some of us in the next week. <laughs> <laughs> So obviously, Premiership postponed for now. They have made it clear that they do intend to finish it. Do you see that happening? If so, how would you see that happening? Um, at the moment, we have we have no idea what's going on. Obviously, with um, our deadlines and you know rugby in in the worldwide sort of situation is is just waiting to see what happens with um, this virus. Obviously, it's postponed many sporting events, not just rugby. Um, so we're just kind of waiting to see what um, what happens with government rulings and stuff around the world. And when it comes to the Premiership, um, obviously it wants to be concluded. Um, but whether that's going to happen, I guess only time will tell. And you probably know as much as I do. And t- until the uh, governments uh, decide what they're going to do, then obviously the the plans can be put in place to see what, what's going to happen going forward. Whether that's the season starts. In September, whether we can get something done before, or it's uh, not till next year, and until we find out what's going on, uh, no one really knows. Obviously, they want to conclude the uh, Premiership, and obviously they have got a plan in place to say the end date is going to be this. It's still going to have a knock-on effect, given obviously the rules with the RFU is you have to have a certain amount of time off if you start training again. You have to have that time, so obviously it's going to have a knock-on effect regardless. Well, yeah, I mean, in a normal sort of playing contract now, it's moved to you have to have five weeks off a year, mandatory. Um, and obviously, before you actually even play any of the games, teams are going to want to um, warm up and, and get back into a sort of mini pre-season, probably for three or four weeks to get guys back into the playing shape. So, again, this is, it's, it's a difficult situation because obviously we want to finish the season with finding out who, who wins the league, who goes into... Uh, to Europe um, yeah. essentially next year. Um, you know, we're luckily enough to know who's going to be relegated. But again, timescales have been put forward, but they can all change and no one really knows what's going to happen until, um, as I said, reiterate, until the government decides what's going to go, what's going to go on going forward. So, you know, we've seen what's happened in China. They've started to, um, you know, release the lockdown a little bit and kind of slowly get back to normal. But whether that happens in the UK and Europe, um, when that happens, then we'll know. And, you know, it affects not just the uh, the Premiership, the um, tournaments around the world. Yeah, definitely. So, obviously, Championship's been concluded. Having played in the Championship yourself, obviously with Bedford and then coming to the Premiership with Quinns, you know, how important is the last sort of push of the season? Do you think it was right to call it time on the Championship or...? Do you think they should have gone with the same line as the Premiership and look to conclude that also? I think that with the Championships, it's obviously slightly different um, because you don't have a playoff system. You're not playing to try and get into Europe or anything like that. Yeah. You literally have a, 
a promotion and a relegation. Now, you know, people could argue, um, as obviously Ealing did, that, you know, they're still mathematically, they could have caught Newcastle. Whether that was, whether that would have happened, we don't know. Um, and obviously relegation, Yorkshire, uh, Carnegie again. Again, Leeds, Leeds. I apologise. Whether that, um, obviously, they, they say mathematically they weren't down. But again, it's it comes down to um, they've made a decision and, and that's the decision going forward. Um, I think for the teams in the middle, it's, it's, it's uh, it doesn't really sort of affect them too much in regards yeah. to league table. I think it's more financially uh, going forward where it affects them. Yeah, with, with obviously Ealing's saying they mathematically could have caught Newcastle, obviously it, it probably wouldn't have happened, but would it have been something that was probably not financially viable for them to be pushing up towards the Premiership anyway? Do you think they were they were ready for that push? Um, I mean, whether they're ready or not, I mean, if, if they if they win the league, then they have every right to uh, go up to the Premiership. And I guess that's for the, the club and the the CEO and the guy who owns it to make a decision where if they can financially viable up in the premiership, could they accumulate the right players to try and keep them up there? So again, at at that time, you, you you want, if you win the league, you have every right, but then it comes down to, um, you know, I think we've seen in the past where teams have, um, you know, been up there and already said if they, if they were going to win the league, they'd refuse to go up. And I think at one point Bedford said that when I was there, they were like, if we ever, did become first, we'd refuse to go up because it's not viable financially to go up. Yeah. It's good. So, yeah. So, obviously, there's obviously a huge playing step step up to the premiership. Refereeing-wise, obviously, I imagine you've refereed at all levels, but what really sets this premiership premiership apart when it comes to the refereeing side of the game? I think I think as you go up through, through, through the levels, it, it comes down to when you're in the sort of lower levels, you're more managing managing the game because obviously it's a bit of a slower game. Um, it's probably a little bit more unstructured. Um, you're trying to figure out like how the teams are going to play so you can manage it because ultimately you don't want to blow the whistle all the time in these levels yeah. because you want teams to play, especially with kids rugby and stuff like that. But you want to play the game without affecting it yourself, but also letting the, everybody enjoy themselves at the same time. I think as you go up up the leagues. Um, the game becomes more structured and the tempo of the game um, increases. And I think that's probably the the biggest thing is the tempo of the game. You have less time to think about things. And ultimately, players at the highest level, they know exactly what they're doing. They know yes. how they're trying to achieve. They know mm. how they're trying to do it. Um, you know, you're there refereeing the game to make sure you facilitate the game to the way it should be. But ultimately, players... Um, can play the game to work well you don't even have to do too much but um, if I'd say the two biggest things was was the tempo of the game is so much quicker and you have less time to make these decisions Um, and then obviously the standard of playing the the better players obviously know what and potentially what what they can get away with and what they can't get away with (laughs) within the laws of the game. And coming, obviously, you're you're uh, kind of the anomaly to most of the uh, the Premiership refs, given the fact that you actually played uh, rugby at that kind of level. Uh, obviously, is that give, is now refereeing against those that you used to play with, giving you a little bit more of a appreciation for how referees are and what they have to go through and what they have to keep an eye on? Oh, I mean, <laughs> I wasn't one of the best um, players, sort of with um, a relationship with the referee, being a scrum half, yeah, obviously. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, slight edge about you, and you know, you, you try and referee the game yourself in that situation. Um, but as soon as my first time I ever refereed, I think I refereed an under 16 game um, on a Sunday, and I literally had no idea where to stand. I was just running around, completely seeing a game at a different angle, different thought process. So I, I have a massive sort of admiration when, when I first moved into refereeing for referees and what they have to do and how hard their job is. And I think I would love um, more players, more supporters, not to necessarily like try and become a referee, but to actually give refereeing a go and just yeah. see how difficult it is and the amount of time you have to think about things and try and figure out what matters, what doesn't matter. Does the game need this? Does the game not need this? Um, and and it's, it's so tough. Um, and you've also got to, you know, spend that time actually in a different mindset from, from playing where you, you can get a little bit, probably a little bit irate, a little bit emotional, a little bit, you know, shouty, whereas a referee, you've got to stay calm. It's all about, um, you know, showing that you're calm, that perception that you're calm, and actually speaking when you speak to players, even if they are a little bit irate, maintaining your calmness. And and it's 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 difficult. Um, and, you know, coming through the levels, I learned it the hard way in one game, and the one game that I learned it from, I've never made that mistake ever again. And um, it taught me a lot. So, no, I have a massive admiration for what it takes to become a referee and, and, and how these guys deal with things uh, on a regular occasion. Yeah, so you mentioned you'd like to see a lot more players transitioning over to referee, you know, going into being a referee. What is the process involved with that transition? You know, do you get part of the fast track because you played the game, or do you still have to go through all the levels everyone else, you know, a regular, regular non-playing person would? So, like everybody, we all have to do um, a referee course, which is basically a basic course anybody can do to learn the laws of rugby. Um, normally, it's a two-day weekend. Where you you do some practical stuff and some classroom stuff, learning learning the laws and looking at different situations. Um, with playing the game and obviously being a um, been with it for like 13, 14 years, I kind of did the course in a little bit quicker time because obviously some of the practical stuff I wasn't needed to do. And then as soon as you've done it, that's it. You're ready to go out there and referee. And what it comes down to is, yeah, I probably got fast tracked a little bit quicker than most normal people would purely because of what I'd done in the past with, with playing. But um, ultimately you're assessed at every single level, like every level from level, uh, the bottom up to the, the top, which is level one, you're getting assessed constantly. So you need to be challenged. Um, so you might referee say at level six and you're doing quite well. So then you might get a level five game. You go up to level five again, you're assessed. Yeah. You kind of got that transition, but We'll keep you at level six for a little bit longer and then maybe next season we can move you up. But I was very fortunate that I was moved up through the levels pretty quickly and, and pushed pretty pretty hard um, within. Um, I mean, I started refereeing two years before I retired, so I'd referee a few games before I even retired from playing. And yeah, I'd, I'd encourage any player now to, to try to take it up and give it a go because ultimately you're never going to know if you um, enjoy it um, or, or not until you, until you try something. And that's that's with anything. Yeah, definitely. So obviously, oh, <laughs> I lost it. Yeah, Corinne, sorry, I have to charge it, put the charger in. <laughs> no worries. So obviously, you know, you go from playing to referee and you've got the experience, you've got the knowledge. 
for someone who doesn't have the playing experience you do, have you got any tips maybe for youngsters looking to get into the refereeing side of the game? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest tip is you just got to go out there and referee. Like, it doesn't matter what level it is, what game it is, if it's a team session um, at your local side or anything like that. I think you, you've got to go out and build that um, sort of mental knowledge um, of seeing pictures, you know, breakdowns, scrums. Obviously, you can look at, um, you know, the RFU, they do webinars and there's stuff online where you can learn. Um, you can watch referees talk about different situations. Um, but ultimately, the, the biggest learning thing is actually in-game, where you build up, you know, you're going to make errors. You're going to make errors. I've made errors throughout the, throughout my career, which has not, not been, you know, massive at this stage. But you make errors in games and stuff. And the only way you learn is by by learning from their mistakes. And you just got to build that knowledge up. Um, and, and by going out and actually refereeing games, contact sessions, team sessions, it's probably the biggest thing. So I'd, just, I'd say get out there as much as you can. So obviously retired from professional rugby, got into refereeing. What was uh, what was it like uh, when you ran out at King's Home for the first on your first ever Premiership game? Was it absolutely bricking it? <laughs> well, it was, um, it was quite, it's quite surreal. What was going through your head? Uh, well, because I'd um, I'd only been a professional referee sort of three or four months, and I obviously I came into the um, professional referees. And I thought, well, do you know what? Maybe I'll get a premiership game towards the end of the season to sort of build me up and then give me one at the end of the game, which might be sort of a dead rubber just to sort of go in there. And then I found out after like four months of being in there, they were like, um, yeah, we're going to give you a premiership game. I was like, oh, OK, wow. Like, fair, fair enough. Yeah. What game is it? They were like, oh, Gloucester Saracens at King, King's Home. And obviously from playing at King's Home, I know the environment is... It's quite intimidating, you know, they're quite a unique crowd down there and they certainly mm-hmm. let you know um, what they think. So when I, when I went down there, like, I'm, I've, you know, when I first started playing, I'd obviously get a few nerves here and there and then towards the end of the career, you kind of, you, you, you're kind of quite not as nervous. And then I remember running out there to warm up thinking, oh my God, like the crowd were all screaming and shouting and, you know, giving me a little bit of grief and, you know, I was like, oh, wow, this is going to be um, interesting. Uh, but um, ultimately, as soon as – it's quite weird. You know, you know, even running out to blow the whistle before the start of the game, I was so nervous. Like, as in almost had, like a stomachache. I was so nervous about the whole game. But then as soon as I blew the whistle, I kind of just went into sort of playing referee mode and went, okay, it's time to sort of do this. Um, and in that game, I made tons of errors. Uh, <laughs> tons of errors. And even when I'd made the error, instantly as soon as I made the error in my head, I was like, yep, I've got that wrong. But then just tried moving on. Because um, ultimately, <laughs> you've got to try and move on and look like you haven't made error, even yeah. though people might might, might have recognised it. Some people might not even have known it. But um, it was a great experience, um, but, you know, very nerve-wracking experience before the actual game. Yeah. So did you think then, once you'd done that game, you were then destined to go on to the World Cup? And get a few games out there. How did that? Oh, I mean, how did that feel? Because I mean, I obviously got you on social media and stuff, and some of the pictures you're posting, the the stadiums are just fantastic. I mean, I from retiring, I didn't even contemplate um, being at the World Cup in in two years from retiring. So to be selected was, you know, a massive privilege. I'd gone to the Junior World Cup um, 
in my first year that was in France and <clears throat> that was a was a, a great experience just doing that uh, moving on to the next stage and then obviously involved in um, ARing in um, um, the Six Nations and the November Internationals and was lucky enough to referee um, a couple of tier two internationals which was again just you know I refereed um, the New Zealand Maori versus USA at Soldier Soldier Field, which is Chicago, yeah. yeah, which is you know as an NFL fan myself, was just <laughs> unbelievable. So, and then obviously to get the message that I, I was you know going to the World Cup, I was just like gobsmacked, and you know I felt massively privileged to to go to spend one a time with some of the best referees in the world, and yeah. also go to a country which I'd never been to, and from being there for six weeks, I can honestly say it's one of the you know, the best experiences of my life. Um, the people there are unbelievable. Um, the atmosphere created by the guys over there was was amazing. And um, I think, you know, apart from, you know, a couple of hitches with uh, glitches, sorry, with, you know, obviously the typhoon, probably yeah. one of the most memorable World Cups in, 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 in history. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, as I said, you, you saw some of the pictures from being out there. Every stadium was packed no, no matter what. Who was playing? You know, it could have been Uruguay versus South Africa. Everybody just wanted to go out there, enjoy themselves. Yeah. You know, everybody supporting everybody, and it was, um, you know, and I was lucky enough to go and watch a few games as a fan as well, and be involved in that, you know, sort of atmosphere in the um, the villages outside was was incredible. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think words can describe like how how good it was out there and culturally how um, you know they embraced everybody from around the world. That's great. So how many games was it you did out there? Was it three or four? So I was involved in six as an AR and one as as a number four in one of the quarterfinals. So and um some pretty good games out there. I mean Australia, Fiji being mm. on the line was mm. was was one of the best games I feel of the World Cup. You know, it had everything. Yeah. You know, it had seven I think it had seven TMO calls, which normally when you get when you, normally when you go to a TMO, it's like, oh here we go again. They're all they're using the TMO, but Every call was close, and it was a fabulous game. A fabulous. You're basically, on headhunter watch. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, was that high? Probably. Let's go check. Yeah. But um, yeah, and, and more. It wasn't more like any high tackles. It was more just tries. You know, scoring the corner, people diving in, and what's happened here and there. And it was, you know, it was a fantastic game of rugby. And I think, you know, even if you're, you know, not a rugby fan, to watch something like that, I think you'd appreciate it. So, yeah, so what were you doing in your downtime when you were over there? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> obviously, uh, things of like you and Wayne Barnes out on the absolute line. <laughs> well, obviously, we, um, we, um, we experienced um, the cultural side of things. So, you know, which was, you know, um, going to sort of, you know, temples and sightseeing and, you know, visiting different cities, which was which was which was fantastic. Um, we had our, we had some of our downtime. Well, we went and watched a, a robot show, which was yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's called the Robot Cafe. It's in Shinjuku. Um, I only could describe it as just crazy. I mean, it, it, you it felt like you were going from being in a rave to a city <laughs> to a house session to a I don't really know but again a unique experience and you know you'd say only in Japan to a we went to a pet cafe where you know you have owls and dogs and cats and all sorts you can hold while having your coffee oh we've got a cat version up here 
Yeah. Well, well, we didn't really experience them, but um, no. and then obviously um, the sights and sounds of uh, Rapongi, which is the sort of nightlife di- nightlife district, which was um, I mean I won't go and delve into too um, too detail, <laughs> but you know we had spent many a night there enjoying ourselves, um, and then we were during the typhoon, uh, kind of had to fly back up from. Um, Oh, so down in down in the South Island, it's only a couple of hours flight up, up back up to our base camp in Tokyo to find out. Twelve hours later, I was getting a nine-hour um, train journey back down to uh, the South Island because obviously all flights have been cancelled due to typhoon. So me and a couple of the referees had a um, very fun journey down on the uh, on the on the, the bullet train for nine bullet hours trains, yeah. with a few drinks. Oh, fair uh, play! But um, we had we had a, a massive amount of. Um, downtime which was which was great and a few great um team building exercises as well oh, that sounds good like i say the social media activity looks looks pretty great so just coming back to semi-current rugby chat um newcastle obviously coming up would you rate their chances at staying up this seat well next season um i think like you've seen in the premiership even over the last couple of years i think it's turned into one of the most competitive and closest leagues in the world I mean yeah. every team's kind of beaten everybody I think this year it would have been um it would have been really exciting to see you know obviously the season was completed and Saracens weren't um you know in trouble in trouble um I think it would have been really <laughs> interesting to see how the league progressed and how close I think it would have been so I think Newcastle coming up I think will just add to that um, obviously, depends on uh, what recruitment happens and how that goes. But you've seen London Irish come up this year from the, the championship, and they've competed really, really well. So yeah, yeah. I imagine Newcastle will follow suit. And again, if we, if we don't complete this season, and we we start again next year. I think again it will be a really, really closely um, thought season. And you know, I think anybody can beat anybody in their day, and it will just be a you know a fantastic season to look forward to. I think Leicester, yeah, I think Leicester's breathed a sigh of relief. Obviously, it's sad to see, see what happened to Saracens, but I think they were like, oh, okay. <laughs> I think they were destined for uh, some iffy times. I agree, and you know, it's it's one of them where I, I think it sort of turned the league into sort of a situation where you potentially could try out a few other players to because there was no pressure on going down, but then also. You're still fighting for European places mm. and four places. So I think, you know, you're still there to win games. Supporters come there to see you win games. So, yeah, you know, yeah. you're judged on winning games. So I think every team, no matter what, would still, would still want it to win. So, mm. you know, I think it, 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 it still would have been a very interesting season. I think, yeah. um, obviously, with Saracens going down and then pipping majority of their international players um, to be staying... Um, can you see the Saracens games being refereed a little bit harsher, differently than the other games in the championship? Or do you think it's going to be kind of spread across the board is going to be OK? Like anything, every, we, we, all we do is in refereeing, we're looking for that consistency. I don't think I don't go into one game looking at something different. You know, if I'm refereeing first versus 56, I referee the game, mm. what's in front of me. And I think any referee wouldn't go into a game and go, oh, I'm going to referee this differently because I'm refereeing this team or that team. So I, I, don't, I don't see any difference um, from the championship referees to the premiership referees 
when they referee down at that, uh, that level, refereeing Saracens any different to they'd referee any other team. For me, the biggest thing will be interesting to see is um, how Saracens perform in that league regarding how they um, how they approach it. I think. Yeah, do you think they'll play a lot of their players, or do you think these boys are destined for some good time off and they'll get nice and fresh? I think um, depending on what happens with obviously the championship and there's obviously the championship cup and you know other things like that. I think um, I think the guys who stay, particularly sort of the seasoned internationals and the senior players, will probably get well rested. You've seen over the past years with London um, Irish, um, you know Newcastle and teams like that. That you know it's a, it's an opportunity to rest some of these guys who um, normally play you know 20 to 30 games a year and sort of, you know, get the body sort of back to where it probably was a few years ago. So, you know, we'll see we'll see what happens. You never know what will happen until the season starts. But does that pose a potential issue of rustiness when they go into international camp, given less game time is a little bit complacency and they're going, well, you've not played that much. You're coming in and playing anyways and a little bit of turmoil within, within the, the camps? Um, I don't think so. I think if you look at some of the... Um, some of the other international teams. You look at Ireland, particularly the Southern Hemisphere. All their all their players are are centrally contracted. So if you take Ireland for example, when you see during the Six Nations and um, November uh, November internationals, you you'll see when they they'll play in their international teams. But when they go within the games around to the Pro 14, they might not play some of the Pro 14 uh, games. So they'll play in the European games because that's massive for them. But then when it comes back to the Pro 14, you see a lot rested. So, you know, I could see a similar sort of thing like that with, with Saracen. They'll play in the games they need them to play, but ultimately they need rest as well. And if you look at Ireland, it's not really affected them too much with essentially contracted and, and certain players being rested. Yeah, just before we actually start recording, I think JK was on the call as well. He had a little rumour. I don't know where it's come from about Potentially Jackson Ray buying the was it the TV rights for the championship? <laughs> That's something you've, you you've mean heard Jackson of? Ray? You mean the number eight for Saracens, or do you mean Nigel Ray? Oh, Nigel Ray, my bad. <laughs> Jackson Ray would have to. to yeah. That would be, that would be fair. The TV <laughs> rights for Jackson Ray, that would be quite common. That, I'd love yeah. to watch. Oh my bad. Very halftime shows going on, I think. Yeah. Uh, Nigel, um, do you know what? I've I've not heard of this rumor. Um, you know, the, the rumours spread very quickly and there's always a number of rumours going around. Um, and, and until I, uh, I see it come out and I hear it from um, people who are up the top, then then I, I'll tend to believe it. But I've not heard anything rumour like that. And if he does do that, fair play to him. So, full swing back to refereeing. How tempting has it been to just bin Danny Kerr? On a, on a constant basis. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've only refereed Quinns once um, in a in a preseason friendly. Um, I've never done them in a competitive game. Mm. Um, purely for reasons <laughs> I have obviously still a few guys I used to play with sit at these teams. I just think it would be not necessarily um, a conflict of interest, or I'd referee the game differently. It's just you know, I, yeah, I, I, you know, some of my friends and. Uh, have a situation where I've got to potentially have a stern word or bin them probably you know harder would be a little bit harder for me so I, I choose just to sort of leave it at the moment and um, wait until these some of these guys maybe move on and then I'll start refereeing Queens. <laughs> Fair play. 
So out of all the games you've refereed, what's the what's the best one you've ever done? As in everything's gone smoothly. Not necessarily the best play, but would you say your best performance that you've enjoyed the most? I do, I, do you know what? I don't think I'd ever sort of sit there and go, oh, that was my best performance or that was my worst performance. Just purely because every game is completely different. And, you know, I could ask you if you thought I, if I refereed well, you might say yes. And I could ask another person, do you think I refereed well? And they'd be like, absolutely not the worst referee going. So <laughs> I think it, it's all perception based with, it, with refereeing. I think probably like one of the, you know, most enjoyable games that I refereed probably, I'd probably say just this season was, um, I did um, sort of Toulouse, Connacht in the Champions Cup. Mm-hmm. And whenever you go to France, you know, the atmosphere is just just unbelievable. Um, and I think mo- most of the enjoyable games you referee, or even AR or, or whatever, are the ones which have the sort of best atmospheres. Um, you know, going down to Wales um, for their Grand Slam last year, um, went down there, even though it was raining, I mean, the atmosphere in there is is electric, especially when they have the roof closed. So I probably couldn't pick like a, a sort of specific game, which has been amazing. But, you know, you look at games which the atmospheres have been incredible. Like, you know, in the World Cup, the, you know, New Zealand, South Africa game, um, that Wales game I mentioned. Um, domestically, even when you go to places like Leicester, Northampton, you know, the crowds are just fantastic. And, you know, when you go out there and you hear that noise, it, it makes it just such an enjoyable occasion. Yeah. And obviously going from, obviously you'll be, before you were used to a team culture, and obviously now you're refereeing, it's kind of slightly different. Is this, is there a same culture within the referees um, and, and things like that? Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's, all, it's not exactly the same. Um, you know, you're as a, uh, a player, you're with your team, you know, five days a week during the season. Um, yeah, and, yeah. You build, you know, build up that sort of team camaraderie and stuff. Whereas, yeah, the referees, we sort of meet up once or twice a week um, during the season, and then um, during the off season, you know, everyone lives, you know, up north, down south, you know, down Exeter. So it's it's a little bit different. Um, whereas, obviously, when you're playing, most of the players live within sort of a 15, 20 minute radius, so you can you can kind of catch up with guys outside of rugby as well as when you're at work. So there still is that team sort of session. We train together um, at Twickenham. We have meetings together. We have socials outside of it. Um, obviously, we spend time during match days with guys outside of our group, like our group of sort of 14 uh, assistant referees and, and referees at Twickenham. So there is still that team sort of bonding camaraderie, but um, it's just slightly different um, to, to play in. No, definitely. So, last thing we'll come on to, um, as we want to keep you too long. Um, obviously, rugby's off for now. Any tips or small training drills you can give to any players stuck at home in the, you know, you're asking for small. Jesus Christ. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I don't like, I, the thing is, I think that this time of year, particularly with rugby off, I've had a few people ask me about um, a number of things, like you know. How would you structure your season? What would you do now? I think at, the, at this moment in time, rest is a massive. I think people underestimate how important it is to just rest, actually, not necessarily rest your body, but mentally just switch off from rugby. Go and find something else what to, uh, to do. If, we, if we're realistic, the rugby season is probably not going to start till 
minimum August. Um, so you're not going to be out training um, in that sort of environment till maybe July, August time. So I'd almost take two or three, maybe even four weeks just to rest, recover. Uh, and if you feel like you can't do that, then just work on your basic skills. You know, there's, you know, Ram rugby, for example, do that solo passing ball. You can take a ball out into the back garden as a nine. You can practice your passing, you know, general skills, passing, kicking, catching. There's so many drills online um, on Instagram with working on, you know, your catching reactions, not necessarily with rugby balls, with tennis balls. You look at crazy cats. They have nets where you can practice your hand-eye coordination. Um, I just think be creative. Um, if you do need to, to practice, just try and find different ways, not just always with a rugby ball, but work on them fundamental skills. Um, I don't want you like in your back gardens trying to smash your brother doing tackling drills or anything like that, but just try and work on them fundamentals. And, you know, as now you can still go out of one, uh, one bit of exercise. So if you, again, you can still work on your fitness and um, train like that. But, um, you know, I'd almost say at this point in time, just mentally and physically, just give yourself, give yourself a little bit of a rest. Yeah, and obviously it's, it's good for the uh, the mental health side of things. I know um, I noticed on one of your Twitter Twitter tweet, Twitter posts tweets, one of the two. Um, obviously you're an advocate for for mental health, um, given one of the nominations you took. And obviously, what would you say to to those rugby players about their mental health, especially now more than ever? I think like due to obviously where we are at the. Uh, we are in the world and you know we're at these lockdown sort of situations and you know this has never happened before so you know everybody players and you know that's not just rugby players it's players from all sporting backgrounds and jobs and all that stuff are gonna are gonna feel alone and potentially a little bit depressed at this time and the rest of it, I just think the biggest thing is people are people are there to, to for you to talk to like you know reach out to people former players former colleagues in your job um, friends family and and the best thing is to talk, talk to people, um, express how you're feeling. And there's always ways around it. You know, we're, we're very lucky in this day and, a, day and age with the technology we have, FaceTime, um, Skype, all these sort of things. Um, you know, house party now even. Um, you, can, you, can, you can stay in contact with people. And I think the best thing is to, to, to talk to people, but also keep your mind busy, um, switch off to things, find new hobbies. Um, and just try and keep yourself busy because obviously, you know, not being able to leave the house as much as you probably want to and see people, it, it's the the only way to get around these things. But um, you know, I just think that probably the key message is there's always someone to talk to, always someone willing to listen. So just don't be afraid to ask. Perfect. I think on that note, we'll uh, we'll call that it. Thank you very much for your time no this problem. evening, Carl. No problem. And uh, hope to see you back out on the pitch soon. Hopefully, and uh, thanks for having me, guys. Enjoy. No worries. Cheers, mate. Cheers, brother.